I was so excited. And that was proof of concept, right? Like we have something here. We can actually make this work. Oh, bro. After that, we just went all in. We were like, we have it. We have the winning formula. This is the Everything Real Estate Investing Show with Sean Penn, where we interview local real estate investors and professionals to go over tips, tricks, and investing strategies to help you learn about the business and to enable you to achieve your financial goals. And now, welcome to the show. Hey everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Everything Real Estate Investing Show with Sean Pan. Today we have Joel Valencia. Joel is a real estate investor in the Bay Area, and he'll be sharing his story of how he went from originating loans to fixing and flipping multiple projects in the Bay Area with huge profits in a short period of time. If you wanna know how to quickly succeed as a real estate investor in the Bay Area, then you need to listen to this episode. If you enjoyed this episode, subscribe to the show and leave a review. We release episodes every Wednesday and Sunday and release the show notes on our site, everythingrei.com. Enjoy. Well, thanks so much for coming on the show today. Go ahead and introduce yourself and let us know who you are and how you got into real estate investing. Yeah, my name is Joel D'Angelo Valencia. And um, a little bit about myself. I'm 34 years old at, at the time of this podcast. And uh, I was born and raised in Redwood City in the peninsula. I was raised there and then around probably 16, no, actually, no, I was younger. I was like still in, in sixth grade. Uh, my parents moved to Fremont. And uh, so I went to high school in Fremont, uh, went to Newark Memorial and, uh, you know, but I was born and raised in, in the peninsula. That's where I grew up. That's where I have a big amount of, of memory. My, my father was actually, he owned a, a pool company, you know, so I would go with him. Uh, he had pools. He would build pools. He would maintain pools all the way from Portola Valley all the way up to San Carlos. So a lot of my my childhood growing up was there, you know, going with them, going to work. And so I, I grew around a, a dad who was very, you know, hardworking. I think that's where it all started, to be honest. Uh, my example of, of what it meant to, you know, have your own business, call your own shots, have no income cap you know, it was my father's example. So, you know, as I grew up older, it just felt natural to me. Like it, it, that was just something that I knew I would do. I didn't have any clue what in the world I was going to do. Right. I certainly didn't want to be a pool man. You know what I mean? It, it was fun, you know, visiting these mega mansions, but did I really want to do that? No, it was very labor intensive, you know, uh, you know, but my father's actually my, my hero. He's uh, he's my number one hero in my life because he taught me what hard work looks like, what dedication looks like, you know, what it feels like to, you know, just go for your dreams and uh, make something better. He's actually he immigrated him. My mom immigrated from Mexico back in the late 70s. And, you know, I was born in the in the early 80s uh, here in, in Redwood City. But, you know, that's that's where I get my probably inspiration to, you know, my risk appetite was probably from my father and you know so we moved to Newark around the age of 16 I left my house I was still in high school and I had a I wanted to party I'll be honest I wanted to have a good time I wanted to party and you know what the funny thing is that when I left my house I actually became more responsible for some reason that's how it is man you got to take care of your own bills you got to have your own food yeah for sure you know so I I left and I ended up moving in with my best friend and his and his older brother, Paco. So David was my best friend. Paco was his older brother. But uh, Paco was like a dad to David because David's dad had passed away. Right. So it was a house full of boys. 
you can only imagine the craziness that 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 happened in that house. You know, I I have great memories in that house. You know, just boys being boys and and having a great time and you know being responsible and and I I learned you know to save money. You know, I had a shoebox under my bed where. You know, I get commission. I get dollar commissions when I used to work at Target. So uh, Paco actually got me a job at Target. He was a manager there, right? So he got me a a job as a cashier. And, you know, he gave me a – there was a sales position that opened up to sell credit cards, Target credit cards. And that's where, you know, I worked on my, you know, my persuasion skills and talking to people. And, you know, and then probably a couple years after that, I met a gentleman of – uh, his name was Amit. He was an Indian fellow from Fremont. And he actually, around the age of 18, I joined a company that we all know, maybe not the younger generation, but the older generation uh, knows a company named Amway. And they're still around, right? So I joined Amway. And that for me was probably, you know, I, obviously I had my father's example of what entrepreneurship was, right? And I saw all my aunts and uncles, they, all of my aunts and uncles owned some kind of business, some kind of business selling doors, installing carpet, yacht or, or pool or um, what do you call it? A boat servicing. I mean, so all, 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 all sorts of businesses I, I grew up around, you know, with, with family. But at that point, at 18, being introduced to Amway, that for me was what changed my life. But leading up to that, here's a, here's a crazy story. This is a great story. And I, I share this you know, when I, when I get the opportunity is that as I'm living with these guys in this house, right? So on Saturday mornings, it was our job to clean up the house, right? Cause the whole week we made a mess Saturday mornings, we wake up, we all had to do our chores. Right. And one day I'm vacuuming my room and all of a sudden something gets jammed in my vacuum. And, and so I, you know, turned it off, see what was in there. And it was a cassette. Nobody on this podcast that's listening probably knows what a cassette is, but I do. You might. I don't know how young you are, but you might. So I took the cassette and the cassette said, Think and Grow Witch by Napoleon Hill. Right. So I took the cassette and I placed it on the little window seal. Right. And I just left. There. I was like, wow, this, this sounds interesting. Right. And I was like, I'll, I'll listen to it one day. So, you know, months went by, completely forgot about it. And then... One day, I was bored, had nothing to do. It was a weekend. And I was like, oh, I'm going to listen to that cassette. Right? So I went upstairs. I, I looked for a cassette player in the, in the house. I found one, connected it. And literally, I put it on. And I laid on my bed, staring up at the ceiling, listening to the whole cassette. And that cassette right there did something so bad to my mind that I thought, oh, my God. I can do and have anything that I want, right? And that, I I guess that's what led up to meeting this gentleman. I don't know how, I think your your mind just becomes aware at that point. You know, it's like a a different avenue in your brain opens up, a new terminal, and you're traveling through this terminal. And somehow this gentleman, you know, maybe like a year and a half later showed up. I met him at a Starbucks. He He was talking business with these people. And I was doing my homework. I had a mohawk at this point, by the way. I had a mohawk, a lip piercing. I mean, this was, I was not, you know, your average businessman, you know. And so I'm just doing my homework, but I keep looking over. And he, the gentleman realizes that I'm kind of imposing on his 
meeting, right? That I'm, I'm just, you know, too intrigued, right? And he tells me something. He looks at me and says, since you're so interested in our conversation, how about you sit here next to me so you can listen? And I thought, I thought he was being sarcastic. I thought like maybe I, I made him upset, right? I'll, but my, my initial reaction was just to walk over there and sit down, right? And that's really where, where it started. And, you know, Amway has a program where, you know, you're constantly listening to books. You're constantly listening to audios. And it kind of, you know, reframed my mind. It changed the way it really established the foundation of probably who I am now because Amway requires you to go out and prospect people. Right. So at the age of 18, you know, I start prospecting people everywhere I go. And that part of prospecting, it's kind of like they threw you in a pool and you had to swim. Right. And, you know, that nervousness of talking to people, initiating a conversation with somebody, that's where, where I really was able to brush up on my skills and anything from, you know, just looking at somebody in smile and saying, hi, how are you? It's a beautiful day, you know, or, oh, wow, gas is expensive or wow. You know, I look at this, look at this car, you know, just the opener to a conversation. You know, I, I mastered that and that allowed me to make much more connections as as I grew up. So that's kind of the, the business where, where it started. And then. So our company, our real estate company was started the moment my parents decided to sell their house in Newark, which was in mid-2017. Oh, it's so recent. Yeah, very recent, right? So my parents were deciding to, you know, they're in the retirement age and, you know, I had to move them closer to me. So they had to sell their house, but I wanted to get top dollar for um, for their house. So one of my childhood friends, his name is Jesse. I reached out to Jesse. Jesse, so I went the path after I did Amway, I went into real estate finance, another important piece. So I did real estate finance. I was a loan officer from the age of 20, probably until, you know, probably until now in the last since the last few years. And so I started as a telemarketer. Eventually we opened up an office in Hayward with a couple of friends. And then in 2017, my parents decided to sell their home. And I reached out to my friend uh, Jesse. And he, so I went the path of real estate finance. He went the path of construction. And when I, when I, I reached out to him, I said, Hey, I have an idea. I said, come to my parents' house so we can talk. He lived down the street from my parents' house. And bro, I remember this like it was yesterday. We're both sitting in front of my parents' house with our arms crossed. And I said, bro, so I have this idea. I want to flip houses and I have a little bit of money and I'm thinking that maybe we can use my parents' rehab as a guinea pig to see if maybe we can work together, right? And I pitched it to him, and he's like, man, you know what? It's funny you say that because I've been thinking of doing the same thing. I was like, you know construction. I know real estate finance and real estate. It seems like a match made in heaven, but just because you have complementing skills doesn't mean you actually have a real partnership, you know, because you have, you know, personality the personality variable. I don't know how he does business. He doesn't know my work ethic. I don't know his work ethic. You know, we don't know. We've never done business, right? So we used my parents as a guinea pig and it was a success. You know, we listed my parents' house. It probably sold $100,000 over listing. We did very well. People loved it. They raved about it. And then we said, wow, I think we have something here. There's no risk there. That was my parents' house. 
there's only upside, right? So, you know, now going into the real world, I had another friend that I met during my loan officer days. His name is Boris. And I had seen Boris. So back when the market crashed, Boris went off and started doing flips. Eventually he got into development. And so every time I would see him, he'd tell me about his projects and the developments that he's working on. And I'm like, man, I'm just doing these rinky freaking loans. Like I'm not really doing anything. You know what I mean? And I had overstayed my welcome doing loans. You know, sometimes you get stuck in a career and you hate it. I don't say you hate it, but you know that you weren't born to do what you're doing, right? So that internal voice, I had had that voice inside of me for probably at least five years. I just didn't know what, what else to move on to. So when this came along, I saw it as an opportunity to just freaking jump off the cliff. Right. And so I reached out to Boris and I said, hey, this is what I want to do. What can you partner with us on our first project? So me and Jesse, literally my parents house sold in probably mid-February, like the 15th. A week after that, we were already in contract on our first deal, which was in San Leandro. I had stayed up probably until 12 in the morning, just looking at real estate all over the place. Right. And I saw this property and it stood out to me because. You know, Boris had told me, find a property that you can add value to, that you can increase the, the size and you, you have multiple exits, right? You can increase size, you can sell it, just remodel it, sell it as is, or maybe even the lot was so big, it, it could have even been subdivided. You know, it was next to an apartment complex. So maybe I could have done another unit. So there was multiple exits on, on that property. So I saw the property at 12 a.m., literally Two o'clock the following day, we were in contract, right? I called the agent. I went there. Boris met me at the property. Jesse met me at the property. We gave him a cash offer. I think we paid, man, I want to say $515. And we sold it for $680, you know? So I think our check on that deal between me and Jesse, I think we made thirty grand a pop. And then we gave, I think I paid Boris' share was like, 20 grand or 30 grand, something like that. But anyways, I was so excited and that was proof of concept, right? Like we have something here. We can actually make this work. Oh, bro. After that, we just went all in. We were like, we have it. We have the winning formula. So we started to, my partner focused on, on building the construction side, putting a crew together, you know, finding people that were reliable. We had somebody when we did our first flip, we had somebody, but we didn't really love his work. I have, I'm very anal about our work, you know, I'm very meticulous, you know, so we wanted to find somebody that was, had that high level standard of their work, right? High level standard, but you know, we're paying 30, 40% less, which is a really hard thing to find, right? So we had to put our own crew together. And so Jesse focused on that. So right now our company is divided like this. Jesse is in charge of, uh, he's my project manager. So he does, he manages all our, all our projects. He manages all the guys, you know, and he actually physically shows up to every single project pretty much every day, right? So he's an active role. We don't have a contractor. We don't subcontract anything. Some, I'll take that back. We do subcontract some work, but for the most part, you know, he's, hands-on and being hands-on allows him to really manage the guys in a much more aggressive way than versus if you just, you don't show up to the site for a couple of days and people are slacking off, 
you know, which is one of the reasons we're able to turn our projects, you know, normally in 45, 60 days, we're done, you know, complete, full bath, everything. And then my responsibility in our company is I do finance and acquisitions, right? So I go out and I find cheap money or cheaper money with hard money lenders, you know, and then now we started bringing in outside cash from, you know, friends, family. So as soon as we, you know, we started having some kind of success, family members and friends started, you know, throwing money at us like, hey, I have a hundred grand, you know, here's 200. And that, man, that was just such a boost of confidence. The fact that you had something of value and now you could include, you know, your friends and family in your journey and everybody makes money. Man, that's such a, a gratifying feeling being able to to provide jobs for the, the guys that work with us and, you know, the, the roofer, the inspection guy, the realtor, the escrow company. We provide so much for our local economies, you know, and now even further, now we have friends and family that are now part of that and they're also partaking in what we're doing. And so the more pride, it becomes like a snowball effect, right? The more you're out there, the more you're working the ground, talking to people, closing deals, meeting new people, bringing in outside capital. These investors know other investors who have money. And one investor knows another investor has a couple million dollars just laying around, right? So eventually your good reputation of the work you do, your relationships, right, that you've built, now that's pretty much how our business grew where you know on one project up in berkeley hills on that one you know i I've, i found an investor to, to give us six hundred thousand. prior to that i had never seen myself in a position to i mean i know it's you know half a million in in the bay area and in our industry is really not a whole lot of money but for me at that point it was right i was like wow if i can do this I can do anything like I could, you know, so now conversations of, you know, putting together a million bucks, two million bucks is no, you know, because you've been there. Right. But if you would have told me that when we first started in 2018, I'd say, why? Wow, I didn't foresee that. So, you know, another part of our journey was we actually opened up a call center in, in Tijuana. So I went to an, an event. Uh, I, I found these guys on Instagram. They're called the uh, all in group. Right. And Carlos and Sal and Alex, uh, they were hosting their very first event. And, you know, I was on the fence. This was probably around, I want to say March or April, somewhere around of, of 2018. You know, these guys, this was their, their very first event. They didn't have, they, their, their business was wholesaling. And, you know, I didn't want to keep buying deals on market. I wanted to buy deals off market because that's where all the spreads at. So I paid $5,000 to go to this event. That event, I came back, they gave me their formula. We built everything from scratch. We found data from real estate data companies. You know, we did uh, skip tracing on all our data that we got. And then we would send that data with, with phone numbers to uh, our telemarketing center in Tijuana. We opened up a, a small group of maybe, we started with three and then we scaled it to probably seven. And so we had that running all the way up until November of 2018. And so what would happen is that they would talk to people here in the Bay Area and say, hey, are you interested in a cash offer? And from there, 
it was my job as an acquisitions manager to call them and lock in the deal once the lead came in, right? So we're spending, at this point, we're spending like $10,000 a month on this call center. And then the problem was that we, I grew too fast. It was just me and Jesse. I checked my CRM and I have, you know, 250 leads for the month, you know, and I'm supposed to call them, right? And the thing is that these leads can't just, you know, you have to build rapport with people. Normally people aren't willing to do a deal on the first call. You have to massage the deal. You have to really, you know, stay with that person until they're ready to make that decision. And so I got overwhelmed, you know, with that. And then, you know, I still, I also do the design for our projects, right? I picked out colors and design, and this is what we're doing. This is the vision. And then, you know, Jesse says, okay, I have this vision. And then, you know, between both of us, you know, we, we design our, our projects. And so I stopped that. I told the, the, the people there, hey, I, we can no longer do this right now. We have to catch up. We're like, we were like almost a thousand leads in here. And, and they haven't been, you know, followed up with. And I started looking for an acquisitions manager. And uh, in fact, just last week, I hired one guy, you know, to come on board to help me. Literally, we're still filtering through leads that we had from last year. You know, so we stopped that. And then this year, we've just been cleaning up our, our business, our, our money, you know, getting cheaper money on, on the market and maybe bringing in more outside investors you know, being out in the in the field, you make relationships, right, with realtors. And I love working with realtors, the right realtors, because we've had bad experiences like every single investor out here has, right? You work with uh, the wrong realtor and, you know, that can, that can be very detrimental to your business if they don't have experience, you know, if, if they don't have a good work ethic, you know, if they're shady or, you know, just not good people, right? And making bad decisions to partner with not the right person, you know, it has cost us in the past. We had a project in Fremont. So we bought a project and I guess the listing agent didn't know that it was a historic home. Pretty much you're not allowed to do a whole lot, you know, almost nothing. And we actually lost 45 grand in that deal for a number of reasons. It was on a busy street. When we listed the house, it was a complete nightmare. And that was, I want to say earlier this year, Market was soft this year too, man. I mean, yeah, and the market started to get soft. It was a punch in the gut, man. You know, we had been going forward, 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 and then we even went off the cliff where we, you know, we opened up the call center and we just grew too fast. And we kind of shrunk back, refocused. You know, we took that punch in the gut earlier this year, and at that point, your your morale, our morale was low. You know, at that point, you know, we felt like losing that type of money. For us, it was a lot. That's what some people make the whole year, you know. And so we we were just out there looking, looking and looking. We didn't want to, after losing money, you become much more cautious, right? You become trigger shot, right? That's right. Yeah. And you don't want to, you don't want to feel that pain of loss because you work so hard and you, you pour your, your heart and soul into something. You know, every, every house is like a child. You know, you want to see it mature and you want to see it get married with somebody else. You know what I mean? And so we didn't have a good experience for that. So, you know, we were gun shy. Finally got into our project and, you know, we've done, we've made money on every single project ever since then. And now we're at a point where we've, like I said, all this refocusing of our business 
and trying to pinpoint what it is that we want to go after. Now we're primarily looking to do work in the peninsula, you know, because I feel like that's a much more as as the economy shifts. My sense is that the wealthier areas of the Bay Area will still remain pretty, pretty strong. You have, you know, great schools. Jobs are still very strong. The economy will soften up, but I feel like it's still a great location. You know, it's a great place for jobs. Schools are great. And we're going to keep focusing in the peninsula. And, you know, the margins are just great, especially the the value adds are just, you know, we're looking at a deal right now. We haven't locked it in yet. We're still working on the numbers. But, you know, it's a property up in San Carlos Hills. And it's a, a property that we're trying to pick up for hopefully around one, two, one, three. But if you add right now a remodeled home in San Carlos is selling for around a thousand dollars a square foot. So we're currently the the it's thirteen. I'm sorry, it's twelve twelve hundred square feet. So if we add another thousand, that's twenty two hundred square feet. I mean, you're looking at at least two million, maybe even more. I see. I grew up in Redwood City, so I know Menlo Park and Palo Alto very well. And I feel like these areas, there's so much upside. You know, it's like Berkeley, like yeah. Berkeley Hills, right? Where you can buy a house, you can add to the to the square footage of the home, and you know the market, the values are not consistent in the neighborhood. You have homes that are selling for one point two, and then literally down the street, one is selling for three million. You know, so all that says to me is you have a, a canvas on, on any property, assuming you have the right property with the right lot size. It's a it's a canvas where you can really do. You know, you have all, all, you know, just nothing but upside. So, you know, and if you can combine that, I think, with working directly with the seller, with the homeowner, locking in the deal and then taking it to market yourself and maybe, you know, expanding the, the footprint. I feel like right now, because margins are so tight in other areas, you know, and in regular flips, that's really, you know, where we want to be now. We don't want to spend more time on small deals because it's a lot of work and my cost of labor is exactly the same, whether it's in Oakland or whether it's in San Carlos, right? Why would I focus in Oakland or, you know, nothing against Oakland because there's still opportunity there, you know, for the right deal, but just, to, and your material cost is pretty much the same. You might have some, you know, more exquisite finishes, but you know, your, your opportunity I feel is in the peninsula in, and I've seen other investors like Raul, I've seen him, he likes to do San Francisco and everything up and down the peninsula. And I've seen, you know, like Juan, he does a bunch of deals out there. So I know he does Oakland as well, but I'm not a big fan of Oakland, to be honest. Yeah, I totally got it. By the way, thanks for sharing your story. I think it was very informative. So your deal flow, is that mainly through that call center you had earlier? As of right now? As of right now. No, no. So that call center is still on hold. And, you know, I talked to other friends that are also investors in Phoenix and they're kind of sharing with you what they're doing. You know, a lot of these guys are also doing, you know, virtual drive-bys, right? You just get on Google maps and literally instead of you, instead of you're, you're just driving through neighborhoods and writing down addresses. And then once you have, you know, let's say you have a thousand addresses and you just skip trace all those addresses. Right. And then, you know, I know text messaging actually right now from the last time I spoke to my boy Alex out there. He's he's a big fish. He's I think he's flipped maybe two thousand properties out there. Wow. Um, yeah, he's he's a big boy, and they've done very well. And so he's he has a, a team out there, and he's telling me what they're doing. So at this point, we're just building our team, 
I don't want to do the same mistake I did last time of not having the right infrastructure to sustain that type of growth. I'm looking to hire the right people, which for me right now is an assistant and then hiring an acquisitions guy. And so I have my acquisitions guy right now that I'm training, you know, so he's been doing all his training last week and he's going to jump on another training today and then we'll get him on the phone. And he's young. He's only 20 years old, but he's excited. That's what I love about the younger kids, that they have no perception of reality, right? You tell them you can make $100,000 this month, which you can in real estate. All he, all somebody needs is passion and drive to go after it. And they'll do it because they don't have, they don't know what's true or not true. So that's where we're at right now. And then, so our leads right now primarily come from, I'd say 50% off market and 50% on market. So like you're finding him on MLS yourself or do you have an agent kind of bringing you these off market deals? No, I'm, I'm physically going literally on Zillow and looking for deals. You know, what fits our frame that we're looking for? Then you shoot them a message or you call them or how are you in contact with these sellers? Uh, you mean the off market deals? Yeah. So the off market deals will either come through a wholesaler or they'll come through an agent that's, you know, they don't want to list the house on the market. Like the San Carlos property, that one is an off market deal where we have a relationship with an agent. It's an older couple. They don't want to do anything to the property. It's literally in grandma's condition. Perfect. You know, it's perfect. You know, so yeah, that's, that's our deal flow right now. Gotcha. And what is your typical buying criteria when you decide to pull a trigger on a home versus passing on it? Margins. I mean, margins is, is everything for us. If, if we don't see a potential to make at least a hundred grand per deal, at least 80 grand, I'd say that's our threshold. We don't want to waste our time. You know, I think what we have now is so valuable and, and you know, it's valuable when investors start, you know, offering money. You have a deal for us. Is there a deal that we can put money on? When we have, when we partner with investors and we bring outside capital, you know, we, we want to make sure we're in a solid position. We don't want to lose anybody's money. In fact, our deal in Fremont, one of my mentors told me one day that in real estate, it's all about relationships, all of it, right? Relationships is everything. And so our deal in Fremont Part of that 45 grand that we lost, half of it was the money we paid out to our investors, right? Because we had guaranteed their principal and we had guaranteed 10% return on their profits, right? So we had to write that check to them, but we kept our word, you know what I mean? And for me, that was everything. And we made a decision very early on before we brought any money. And we said, you know, we treat money like it's God's money. It's more valuable than our own. You know, we will never, if we lose somebody's money, we will always repay them back no matter what. That's right. Have to. Yeah. For us, it, it was, uh, I want to sleep at night, you know, and you know, it's great when you make money. Like one of my investors right now, we're like, we're like best buds. We hang out, we go have drinks and, you know, we go out to restaurants and hang out and we have a great time. And for me, it's, it's that relationship thing. That's the most important for me because at the end of the day, Money's great, but if nobody wants to be your friend because you're an asshole or you're screwing people, what's the point? That's right. You know, so that's that's where we're at in, in terms of our deal and, you know, our, our investors. And how do you structure these loans? Is it like a second lien position or JV partnership? Yeah, well, we've structured it in, in, in that's the beauty about real estate, right? You can structure these deals any way 
that's conducive to to people's you know expectations and goals of the investor or our expectations. So we've done different types of partnerships. You know, Berkeley on that one, we did a joint venture where we we joint we were joint on the uh, proceeds, final proceeds. You know, we split the proceeds uh, accordingly. You know, I think it was a certain percentage we get, a certain percentage they get of, of the profits. And then on other deals, most of our deals has just been a flat 10% that we give our investors. So if they invest 200000 at the end of a three, four-month window, we pay them. They invest two hundred, we give them $20,000. Oh, wow. So it's not even annualized 10%. It's like straight up 10%. It's a straight 10%. So, you know, we're pretty aggressive in what we pay our investors. So... Um, who else is doing that? I don't know any other, anybody else is crazy to do that, but apparently we're crazy enough to do it. And, you know, our investors keep investing. They just keep their money with us. They don't even ask for their money because, you know, by the end of the year, they say they do two deals with us. I mean, they've made, you know, 20% on two deals. Yeah. You're not going to, you can't even get 5% right now in the market. You know, we're, we're giving these people, you know, in, in half the time, quadruple the amount. So. And so you said your partner mostly focuses on the construction side. Yes. How many, how big is your crew? And are they all like salary based or? Yeah. So we, we pay our guys, uh, on a, we give them a daily wage and, um, man, I wish Jesse was here. He'd probably be able. So anything about this question, you just asked, this might be completely wrong. Okay. But from my understanding, cause he manages all that, you know, we pay our guys daily and I, we probably have, I don't know, maybe seven, eight people that we consistently work, that we rotate, um, you know, and then we have other guys that have other crews that we'll bring in as well that we've done work with, you know, so we have a solid base of guys that we work with. And then when we have more work, then we bring other crews that we've worked with before in the past and we like their work, you know, what they've done. And then do you usually do just one project at a time or are you trying to do multiple projects at the same time? Normally we like to have at least two or three projects going. Wow. Yeah. So right now we just sold our property last week. We sold Pleasanton. Um, this week we listed the property in Newark and we're actively working on our San Jose project. And that one's probably 30 to 45 days out from being on the market. And that one's a big one. That one's five bedrooms, 2,700 square feet. Jeez. Who's the end buyer supposed to be for that? Like, yeah, well, see, that's the thing. Well, you know, probably a, a bigger family, I would assume. Yeah, it's gonna be a gorgeous property. I mean, it's 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 five bedrooms, three baths. You know, it, it's probably the one of the biggest homes in the neighborhood. So we had an advantage that we bought it for a million eighty, I want to say, and our exit is probably somewhere around one six, give or take. Wow, that's great. So. I think now any investor right now should be should have plenty of margin because as the market shifts and it cools down, I don't mind listing my property for the same amount, you know, from the guy down the street who ha- only has 2,200 square feet. I don't mind listing my property at the same price as his, you know, because if you come to my property and mine's bigger, more beautiful, I mean, it just gives me that competitive edge. You're getting that extra competitive edge. You know, in those margins, I think right now is is key. So we're very we're very cautious right now that we don't want to get into deals unless there's we have multiple exits. You know, and, and our margins are, are are solid. Yeah, for sure. How many projects do you think you guys do in a year? 
we're probably 12, 18 months into our, our business. We've probably between me and Jesse, because I've done JVs outside of our own business, right? And probably between me and him, we've probably done 10, 11 to date. That's great. Wow. Yeah. yeah. You guys definitely hit the ground running for sure. You know, I don't know, man. There's, um, I was, I was already at a point in my life where I was ready to go. You know what I mean? And, and you had all that Amway training too, right? Focusing on your mindset, getting better. And then now, you know, boom. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I'm a big fan of audible. You know, I'm constantly listening to at least three books at any given point. I constantly, I'm in the middle of one, I'm in the middle of the other and all these ideas are just, you know, I learned from Amway. I remember this one guy, his name was Brad Wolgamont. I still remember his name. And he said one day, he said, you got to develop the habit of growth. You know, the habit of growth and constantly reading and cleaning your mind and taking out what doesn't work. And, you know, a lot of introspection. And I spend a lot of time in introspection, you know, meditation and thinking about things in my life, what I want. What is it that you truly want out of this life? What do you really, really, really want? I mean, I think if you can ask, if you can answer that question, Man, you're already ahead of, you know, 90% of the crowd because most people um, don't know what they want, more or less willing to take the leap to go after it, you know. So if you can really focus on what it is that that you truly want. Um, and the funny thing is that as you as you read more, as you experience more of life, it's a moving target. It doesn't stay constant. You know, you might have wanted something five years ago. You want none of that today. Now you want something else, right? So you you constantly have to be thinking and evaluating yourself and your actions because if your actions don't line up with what you thought you wanted, then you got to ask yourself, what is it that I truly want? Because I'm obviously not doing this. So what is it that really that I want to do, right? And and spending time to figure that out. I think a lot of people have that problem where they never spend the time to figure that out. And then they just take the default method, which is just wherever they're at. And then they blink and 30 years go by and they're like, damn, where did my life go? Yeah, no, I, I think I think the majority of people ex- experience that. They don't decide what it is that they want. And because of it, they get stuck at a job. And it, the problem, the, the enemy of great is good. Have you heard that? The enemy of great is good. I've heard that before. Yeah. Exactly. So, well, you know, here in the, in the Silicon Valley, you know, people have great, they have good jobs. You know, you're making 100, 200, 300 a year. You got full benefits. You live in a great community. I mean, you have a nice car. You have a nice little retirement. I mean, that's the American dream, right? You know, I mean, not for me. My, my goal is to have millions of dollars and real assets that one day you know, I can pass on my legacy to my children, you know, and I think the older you get to, um, the more clear on your vision you become, the more determined, the more uh, unapologetic you become. You know, I'm at a point where I don't give a you know what, you know, I'm just going to be me. I'm going to do me and I'm just going to go because at the end of the day, I'm the one that's going to die. And I'm laying in my bed, in my deathbed. I'm the one, nobody else is going to be there with me. It's going to be me and the creator if there is one, you know. It's just going to be me and him, 
and I need to be happy with everything I did in my life. And for me, that's, you know, honestly a driving factor. I think last year I was introduced to the philosophy of Stoicism. I don't know if you've, if you heard of Stoicism, it's a Greek philosophy from Greek. And I think one Roman guy, but you've heard of Marcus Aurelius, right? The emperor of Rome. So he was a Stoic, right? And he has a quote. I hope I don't slaughter this quote um, that says, you may leave life today. Let that determine what you say, think and do. Right. And I live by that to an extreme every single day when I wake up. In fact, it's so real. I even got a tattoo on my neck to remind me. Right. That says, you know, you may leave this life that you will die. And if you wake up, I even heard Steve Jobs say this in one of his um, he was talking to a, a group of grads. You know, he would wake up every morning and he would think, do I really want to if I die today? Do I really want to do what I'm doing today? And man, if you make that a habit, because for most, this is so cliche. Everything I'm saying is so cliche, right? But if you make it a habit of being purposeful every morning about that, I may die today. This is a reality. You might walk out of your door, get in your car, think you're going to Safeway. You're not going anywhere. Oh, man. This might be it. It's a wrap, right? And then how pathetic is it that, you didn't do what you knew you were supposed to do, right? But because you're a little whatever, you didn't go for it, right? So that really does mess with you and, and it shakes the foundation of everything you believe and want because at that point, you have a fire under you of, of death because you know your time here is limited, right? And you take purposeful action every day because you know today might be my last day. Am I uh, uh, doing what I want to do? Am, am I in a relationship that I want to be in with? Am I listening? Am I hanging out with these people, you know, because I'm supposed to or because I'm expected to? Nothing matters anymore at that point because they're, neither your parents, neither your spouse, neither your children are going to die with you when you die. It's It's just you, bro. You know, so you have to be the one that really drives your life and screw everybody else's expectation. Sean has to do Sean. Joel has to do Joel. You know, nobody can nobody can live your life, you know? Exactly. And very powerful words to live by, for sure. Oh, they've changed my life. In the last six months to a year, they've had, had such a, a big effect in, in everything I do, in my purpose, and my passion for living. My passion for living I have never been more passionate in my life. You know, everything I do, the people I meet, I have a blast everywhere I go because I know that today might be my last day and, you know, I got to live it. Yeah. The thought of death helps people live more, right? Yes. Yes. That's exactly what it is. So what kind of tips can you give to our listeners? Maybe someone who's newer in real estate investing that wants to get to your explosive growth or your explosive level in a relatively short time frame. Man, that's a great question. I think it starts, well, first of all, you have to have your desire, right? Have a clear focus, what it is that you, that you want, right? You want to make, you know, a hundred, say you want to make a hundred grand this year, let's say 50 grand, right? On your, on your, so establish, this is my goal. And you have to believe in yourself, first and foremost, that you can achieve that, that you are going to do, you're going to achieve that no matter what, right? Set the goal and be a hundred percent committed to it, that no matter what, you're going to you're going to achieve this goal. 
And then secondly, I would say you'd have to find a mentor, right? Either find a mentor or just be obnoxious, you know, go find somebody, go find somebody who's doing what you want to do and just bother them relentless until they say, stop calling me, stop emailing me, stop texting me, you know, fine, come, I'll take you with me. You got to be that guy, right? Just like you said earlier, you went out and, and you, you know, you got to hit the ground, you know, you got to knock on some doors. You got to make, you got to disrupt, you know, your, your comfort and you have to go out there. And, and so I'd say find a mentor and then just learn, you know, there's a ton of information on YouTube. Um, I'd recommend my, my boys at, at all in, if you, if you go to Instagram and you search, uh, car official Carlos Reyes, go to his page on Instagram and, you know, he has a great company. He's an honest guy. And, um, you know, they, they really showed, you know, value and, and they show exactly what it is that they're doing. So you want to find some kind of training system. There's a ton of them, you know, but I say, be weary. There's, there's, there's what we call the gurus out there, right? You want to stay from the away from the gurus that are asking for, you know, twenty, thirty, fifty thousand dollars for, you know, some, uh, you know, I'm not talking about about anything, anyone in specific, but just be wary. You know, if you're starting off, you probably don't have that much money, so maybe start with bigger pockets. Maybe start, you know, picking up some books at at the library. But even better yet, find a mentor who can mentor you. That will be your fastest way to success, in my opinion. If you can go back in time, let's say even 10 years, what do you think you would have done differently? I would say, you know, the things that I've shared on the, on the podcast, what is it that you want? Believe 100% that you can attain it. And F everyone else who tells you otherwise. So like when you're younger, you, you had like a little ego thing and you could tell yourself, hey, don't worry about this, right? Not a big deal. Yeah, like so you when you're young, you just... Because you're 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 so used to being parented, right, by others, right? You're parented by your parents until you leave their home. You're parented in school by your teachers, right? So you don't have that sense of self and confidence, you know what I mean? And you're so dependent on other people. But I'd say, you know, refocus, you know, on yourself, what it is that you truly want. And then whoever it is that you want to be, I'm talking about whoever you want to be, whatever you want to do, just go, just go and, and be unapologetic in your pursuit. You know, that's what I, that's what I would tell the Joel that was 10 years younger. Awesome. Well, Joel, thank you so much for your, for your time and for your advice. How can people get in contact with you? I use my Instagram a lot. I've connected with a lot of awesome people on there. So if you go to hashtag is at Joel, no limits. Um, connect with me. I'd love to connect with you. If you have any questions or, you know, you need some kind of mentorship, I'm always getting messages and I'm willing to help people out as, as long as they're more willing to help themselves. I will never work more for somebody, you know, unless they, they have that determination. So connect with me. I'd love to help you out any way I can. And Sean, I appreciate you taking the time to, to hang out and have a, a flavorful conversation. Uh, thanks so much, man. All right. Take care. All right, cheers. Here are some of the key takeaways from this episode. Try to find a way to start small or work on a project with low risk. Joe was able to get his feet wet by working on his parents' house. And find a partner that compliments you. If you're good with numbers and acquiring deals, find someone that has a great construction background. The market has softened a bit and margins are tight, so you need to do something different. Value-add plays work really well right now, and the cost of labor and materials are relatively similar.
So go for the bigger deals. And if you want to succeed, you need to think about what you want. Spend some time and have a clear focus of what you really want and want to work on so that you don't just wake up 30 years later and wonder where your life went. I hope you enjoyed this episode. You can find the show notes and other episodes on our site, everythingrei.com. Thanks and have a great day. This was another episode of the Everything Real Estate Investing Show with Sean Pan. If you enjoyed the show, leave us a five-star rating. It'll take less than a second and it'll help a lot. You can contact me at seanpanrealty at gmail.com. That's S-E-A-N-P-A-N-R-E-A-L-T-Y at gmail.com. Thanks and have a great day.